Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Ah, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR. Community radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Uh, thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show, highlighting issues around homelessness and rooming houses. Hi, I'm Bill. Each week on the Living Free Show, we highlight one of the 12-step programs that assist recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Um, our guests share their recovery experience and show us that shared stories save lives. Um, today, my guests are Sarah and Dale. They're members of Alcoholics Anonymous, and they're going to be sharing how AA has helped them to recover from alcoholism. Uh, so welcome to 3CR Studio this afternoon. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, thank you, Bill. Um, so we usually talk about growing up and our life and what happened and how we got into AA. Um, so, Sarah, I understand you've been in AA for five months. That's right. Yep. yep. Okay. Um, so do you want to tell us a bit about growing up and how you first came in contact with alcohol? Yeah. Um, so... Like many, I was 13 years old when I first had alcohol. Um, so the way I got introduced to it was actually through some new friends I'd just made at a new school i just started at. So my mother and I, she was in the Navy when I was growing up and we would move uh, schools and houses every year when she was posted to a new destination. Wow. Yeah, so I think by the time I got to this final school, well, for a little while, I kind of just got in with the first crowd that would have me because I just wanted to belong to someone. <laughs> so, yeah, and they just happened to be a group that were already drinking and doing various other drugs. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what was life like in your family? Well, at that time, my mother, for the previous maybe five years had been kind of dealing with PTSD from some issues she'd had in the in the forces and um, so home life had been quite I would say quite anxious and fairly stressful so I felt like I was quite a high-strung child by the time I had come into into high school yeah so it was just me and mum growing up okay yeah Yeah. okay did you find school was that comfortable for you or was that a difficult time uh, no, I found it quite difficult. I, I'd never felt that I fitted in. I definitely felt like I was different. For I don't, I still don't know why I felt different, but I definitely felt like I didn't fit in with any of the crowds. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, was it somewhere? Was it somewhere safe for you, or was it somewhere difficult going to school? It didn't feel safe. Didn't no. Feel safe. Yeah. No. Okay. And. Um, it only, no, it didn't feel safe and it definitely didn't feel safe until until I had a drink and then all of okay. a sudden I didn't have to question my friendships with people because that was one of the primary things that felt uncomfortable for me was just not feeling like I belonged anywhere. So when I drank, all of a sudden I felt like I was a part of part this of group. Yep. Yeah, okay, right. So did that, um, did that mean that you drank... Um, during the week or just weekends? What was your drinking pattern at at 13? From recollection, being quite a while ago, 
Uh, I would say it was just weekends to start with and that was okay at that time. You know, I had the weekend to look forward to. I guess at that stage I didn't know that drinking every day was a, a thing or a possibility. Yeah. So, But I very much looked mm. forward to any opportunity that would get me close to alcohol because that first time, I, I do remember that, it was Jim Beam and I just drank as much as, as was on offer and I – just remember the feeling of being relaxed finally in my own skin. Yeah. 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 I've heard of alcoholics talk about it as tightening all the loose screws. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I haven't heard that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, okay. So I'll cut across to you, Dale. Um, so you've been in AA six months. Correct. Um, so what was life like for you growing up? Growing up, it wasn't the greatest until about 14. I lived with my mother. My We left my father when I was about two, who was a drug addict. I don't know about his drinking situation. My mother was a heavy drinker and very physically and emotionally abusive. And then there was sexual interference by a neighbor. Then at 14, I was kicked out of home and I was homeless between 14 and 16. And that's when I started to drink at 14. Okay. So... Um did you said your mum was a drinker? So were her family were uh, the other drinkers in her family? Yes, I don't know anything about the father's side, but the mother's <clears> side, they were all drinkers, all very very heavy drinkers. Her herself, she used drugs as well. But yes, they were all drinkers: grandpa, grandma, the aunties and uncles, all the cousins, and all extremely heavy drinkers. Right? Did you relate to them? No, I didn't think about it. Until I got into AA, yeah. Okay. Right. Never occurred to me. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Some people notice it immediately and other people are completely unaware of it. It's 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 quite funny. Yeah. Yes, just a lot of denial. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> um, so growing up then, did you have any siblings? I had a half-sister who I'm eight years older than yeah. that I grew up with her and I have a half-brother but I didn't meet him until I was 16. Right. Okay. That must have been an unusual experience. It was indeed. <laughs> okay. Um, so moving out of home at 14 must have been really difficult. Yes, it was extremely scary. Like um, I was very little and not very street smart at the time and I was just completely on my own and I had no idea what to do. Between 14 and 15, I was sleeping on roofs and just stealing food to live. And then by 15, I got in with quite a lot of bad people, some criminals, and got into crime. And that's how I supported myself. Okay. Um, so what sort of places were you living in? Living in? So after I got off the roofs, I was living with my cousin who was a ward of the state. So they had cheap housing for people who were under 18. And I started living with him. And then there was lots of people that would come in and out of that and just a lot of alcohol and drugs and crime. Right. Okay. <clears throat> um, so I guess you weren't going to school? No, I dropped yeah. out at 14. Right. Okay. So that meant that you had all the time to yourself from 14 years. Correct. Yes. I, was, I said mm. I started drinking at 14, but yep. by 15 it was a daily thing. Okay. Um, so did you did you feel part of your friendship group? Yes, but it was more... I was very good at manipulating by that time because that's how I survived until I was 14. So it was more... <clears throat> I was just manipulating whoever was around me, pretending to be friends with people so I could get the alcohol and other things that I wanted. I just... I played a part to get what I wanted. I never really yep. connected with anyone. Okay. Yeah, it's... Growing up in an alcoholic home, you... Um, there's a lot of, I guess, lying. 
That's, yes, it's a, it's a normal part of normal part of life. So, um, so um, when did you think that you wanted to change that? Was there a time when you thought oh, I've got to get out of this? I had a slight want to change at eighteen, but it was more wanting to change my personality. And it wasn't until twenty five that I really realised that I had a problem and wanted to change. Okay. Right. Uh, we'll go back to you, Sarah. Um, so I think you said w- when you're in grade five, you were pretty anxious. And in secondary school, you got into alcohol. So did you manage to stay at school? I did. Yes, yeah. I actually did fairly well. Actually, no, I did really mm. well at school until I got into the drugs and the alcohol. Oh, okay. I was a very good student. Um, and then it, I'd managed to get by. But it was literally, it was just getting by. There was nothing special going on there. Okay. Did you have any other relationships in your, when you were growing up? Did you have, you know, boyfriends? Not Not really. really. I had a lot of male friends and a couple of female friends. And we just mostly partied together. Otherwise, it was just me and my mother primarily. A lot of my other family were in other parts of the country. So what did your mum think of you drinking? She was going through a lot herself. So with the PTSD, uh, she wasn't. She was a wonderful mum in the sense, you know, she provided for me and she, I knew she loved me, but she wasn't emotionally available. Uh, she tried to support me through a few things. You know, I had a couple of things like being beaten up and some other sexual-related issue, issues. And although she wanted to help me, um, she wasn't strong enough when I said, no, I'm fine, she was like, okay. Because she had her own stuff to deal with. Yeah, okay, yeah. right, okay. Um, so when you left school, did you continue drinking? Was that easier? Yes, as soon as you get your own income and sometimes your own place to live, there's no, there's no one watching you, so you can kind of do what you want. Yeah, so it definitely ramped up uh, when there was less maybe educational responsibility and no mother watching Mess over supervision. me. supervision, yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so when did, you, did you, when did you think that alcohol wasn't good for you? Well, I can think of a few distinct things. So around the age mm. of 17, I actually remember having a calendar on the wall in my bedroom. And I would, my aim was to tick off days when I didn't drink right. and just to just so I could be proud of myself. But I couldn't get more than two ticks up there in a row. And it was so confusing. And it wasn't long after that, when I was around maybe 20, I thought of getting, no joke, a tattoo of a beer can with a cross through it because I thought if I have that, I can't drink. I'll have a tattoo that is literally telling me not to drink. I was that desperate already at that age wow. <laughs> to, to not drink. Yep. Yeah. And I think I... Um, at 21, I then found myself, I was living on my own and I found myself, I would sit out the front of my flat every night on my phone, smoking cigarettes and drinking a six pack of beer. I was just wanting, and I was on my phone, just connect, wanting to connect with people, but being so alone. And I was down the end of that street that there was a park and I found myself there late at night one night. And I, it wasn't something I chose to do, but I found myself on my knees just in desperation, just calling out to something like maybe my higher power, just saying, I don't know what to do. Mm. I'm struggling and I can't stop drinking and I don't know what to do. And I was at 21, you know, so the signs were pretty obvious all the way back then. So. Yeah, okay. Um, 
Did you feel ashamed of what of your drinking? Oh, gosh, I think every day, yeah, and mm. particularly when you would do something that you're mortified, you know, that you'd done, just done something that wasn't congruent with who you really wanted to be. Like mm. I always saw myself as having very high morals and I would do things that just defied that and it confused me because I thought, who is this other person? Who yep. is this person that that does this crazy stuff? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so definitely there was a lot of shame attached to my drinking. Okay. Um so when did you first find AA? Oh, I'd say it was around 21. Yeah. I still don't recall how I knew it existed, but I, I remember, I think it was a meeting in Paran actually, um, many moons ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Well, so we'll cut back to you, uh, Dale. Um, so when you were 18, you realized you had a problem. So... Could you do anything about it? No, I basically cut myself off from all the associates, I wouldn't call them friends, associates that I had, and except for a psychiatrist and the liquor store, I didn't leave the house for about two and a half years, and I thought my problem was just drugs, and I was still doing that, and then at 21, I went to a detox, and then for six months, I just used drugs and didn't drink, and then inevitably continued to drink after that six months. Okay. Um, so what were you doing at this time? For? For work. With, were you working? With or? life. Uh, yeah. It was Centrelink and just people coming over to buy drugs from me. Okay. Right. Pretty straightforward life. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, listen, we might take a quick break. Wondering how you pay your donation to the 3CR Radiothon? Well, you can do so online at www.3cr.org.au or call us with your credit card details on 0394198377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash, cheque or FPOS. Or simply post your cheque or money order to P.O. Box 1277 Collingwood 3066 and be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to. You're listening to Living Free on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. The, we've got about 85 episodes of the show available on podcast. Uh, they're on our website, uh, 3cr.org.au forward slash living free. Uh, so you can check them out. If you want to send us a message or contact us, uh, you can do it via 3CR on 03 9419 8377 or email us at 3CRLivingFree at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter as, as 3CRLivingFree. Uh, we had our Radiothon uh, last week um, and we managed to raise around $700 um, out of our $1,100 target. Uh, since then, we've had the following donations. From Janelle, we had $50. From Maurice, $20. From Maya, $35. From Janine, $20. Uh, from Jackie, $100. And from Sue, $200.
So that's fantastic. Uh, we also had uh, two pledges, uh, one from Eric and Nigel, uh, $20, and one from Emily. Thank you very much for you for those two. Uh, so thanks for your ongoing support to keep Living Free Show voice on 3CR for another 12 months. I'm talking with Sarah and Dale, and we're talking about Alcoholics Anonymous and how that helps with recovery from alcoholism. Um, so I think, Sarah, we sort of finished up with you around... 21 you'd sort of been to the first AA meeting I think um, I think we mentioned off air that you're working in hospitality so is that a difficult profession if you're an alcoholic I would say a big yes to that yeah um, I think there are many reasons that's the case one of them being that you know well you're in that environment and it's, it's kind of an acceptable environment to be drinking a lot you're seeing it around you all day and your co-workers are often also quite a fan of the drink. Yeah. And then there's also often a free couple of drinks on offer at the end of the shift. So, you know, you may have promised yourself that you're not going to drink after work, but then you find yourself saying, well, there's a, th- a free drink. Uh, how can I refuse? And that just kind of sets off the night for you. <laughs> it, it must be difficult having that available all the time. If, if alcohol is a problem, just to have it sitting there. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of everywhere. It's available anywhere. So, yeah. you know, in the pub, it's obviously in your face, but it's, it's always accessible, you know, once you're over the age of, you know, when you're able to buy it. Yeah. But I think it's more so, as I touched on, just the idea that you're in an environment that is, is really encouraging drinking. Yeah. So you, your brain is saying to you, Drinking a lot is fine. It's normal behavior, you know, so that's kind of, that's more the problem. I think for me mm. personally, it was just that, that yeah. I'm, and I, I know and I would deliberately put myself in these places so that I felt better about my, my issue with alcohol. You okay. Know? Yep. So what other sort of work did you do apart from hospitality? I was a gym instructor in my early twenties yeah. and um, yeah, it's a funny job to have if you're drinking every night and because you know i would have to take people through fitness assessments the next day and one of the questions i would often ask was you know we'd look at their diet and things that may be affecting their health and um sometimes i'd have to ask so how much do you drink you know and i would have to make the odd suggestion of oh maybe you could look at cutting back in this area and meanwhile i was hung over like extremely hung over and um, I just started to feel like a, an absolute fraud in that role. And that actually is what led me to leave it. I, I really loved the job, mm. but I just mm. felt, I just felt like, what am I doing here? This yeah. is embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so what was life like for you then, you know, working? So was it working and partying? Was that your life? I guess it was, yeah. Um, it was still, I was really into the pubs back then. That was definitely my scene. I felt like a pub was this warm, cozy hug of a place for me, you know, where I could get lost for the night. And um, yeah, but the only problem with that was, you know, it kind of was a... It had to end. Well, yeah. And, and my intention going into a pub was never to get drunk. That wasn't, there were some people that go, oh, I'm going out for a big night. But for me, I literally would say, I'm just going to go and meet some friends for a couple of drinks. 
And then you have me rolling in the door at 6 a.m. in the morning not knowing what happened. And that wasn't just once or twice. That was pretty much every time. So mm. I was constantly breaking my own promises to myself and that was a little bit heartbreaking because I couldn't even trust myself mm. and my own word. Yeah. Yeah. So did you see it as sort of a wasted life? Could you, you – know, did you have that much insight? Not initially. I knew that it was really detrimental to my self-esteem and that I wasn't really achieving as much as I would have liked. But it took me a long time to actually be able to look back and say, wow, alcohol is holding me back in so many ways. I, yeah, I definitely couldn't see that so clearly when I was in it. And particularly during the chaos, when there's a lot of chaos around drinking, there's not enough, for me, there wasn't enough quiet space to actually reflect you're kind of just living in this miserable, you know, existence of regret and shame. So, um, yeah, it took me a while to get a bit more clarity around, um, yeah, just how dysfunctional my relationship with alcohol was. Right. Yeah. yeah. Off air, you mentioned your relationship as, uh, I think it was a bitchy best friend, was yeah. how you related to alcohol. So what, what was that feeling like? I guess I, I didn't think about this. This was like I was trying to... In recovery, I've been trying to think of ways to view my addiction. Like some people say, name it, and I was calling it Dirty John for a little while, you know, because mm. he's he's a good decept. He's very deceptive. <clears throat> he comes all across very yeah. charming, but yeah. in the end, you know. Gets you. Yeah. Um. So then I thought about this idea of it being a bitchy best friend. So you know, she's the girl you feel really close to her, but then like she's like, let's steal a car, and you're like, okay, let's steal a car, and. Then come the time when, you know, you get busted and you get taken off to jail or whatever, and not literally, but yeah, yeah. metaphorically, um, where is she? She's gone. She's nowhere. And then you might catch up with her, let's say, a week later, and she's like, oh, you know, wasn't that hilarious? And you're like, no, it wasn't hilarious. <laughs> and she's like, let's go do it again. And you get roped back into it, but she never want to take, never wants to take any of the blame. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, essentially, that felt, that felt really fitting for me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a good analogy. <laughs> and she's also very hard to get away from because you've built up this this commun this bond with her. So you you know she's bad for you. Yeah. But you feel really connected and you feel like she's the only one that will ever love you in a sense. And that's yep. kind of alcohol. Alcohol just temporarily makes you feel like you you think you, you feel like you love yourself for the first time, You're you know. In, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, thanks. Um so Dale, um what happened I think around 21, your life changed. Yep. So what was the change? Well, the change is that I really wanted to change and I went to a rehab and then I cut contact with everyone that I knew, well, 99% of the people that I knew. I enrolled in university and I moved into a shared house with other people that were in university, so more people on the regular spectrum, yeah. if you will say. <laughs> and then I was still using drugs for... The six months that I started there and then quickly got back into drinking. And then that's when I knew I wanted to stop, but I couldn't. So it was starting to really weigh on me. And then I also started to get into a hobby that I really wanted to for many years, which was mixed martial arts. And I was doing that and I was fighting and competing in grappling competitions while drunk. So Ooh. I was starting to hate myself more and more because I wasn't achieving my potential. I was only going to school so I could get Centrelink to continue to support my habit. And then I was starting to slowly drift back into those old friend groups, the criminal groups, because, I don't know, I just did. I didn't think. I just, whatever I could do to continue to drink 
is what I did. So I just continued on that path and just slowly slipped away and there was car accidents and people getting killed and arrested around me and it just the more the worse I felt about myself and about life the more I drank even though I would wake up and I would start drinking and then at the end of every night I would be like okay tomorrow I'm gonna stop and then I'd have all these resolutions I'd write up timetables of what I was going to do the next day that was going to be so productive and then I'd wake up the next morning and start drinking again. So how, how early did you start drinking? I started drinking at 14. Yeah, I mean, how early? Oh, how early? How early? Yeah. Literally as soon as I woke up. Yeah, okay. That's pretty early. Yeah, just 24-7. Yeah, okay. Um, and the amount you drank, did that increase? It did. Between 18 and 21, it was around half a bottle of spirits a day. Yeah. And then, as I said, I stopped for six months. And they talk about the progressiveness of the disease in AA. And it truly shines a light on it when I think about my past because... Then when I started drinking again, it was suddenly a bottle. And then at about 25, I went to rehab. And then when I got out of that, I didn't drink for a month and started again. And then suddenly it was two to three bottles. So every time I tried to stop, it just increased drastically. Wow. It's scary, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. So what, what caused you to reach out to something like AA? To reach out? Well, I isolated myself so much and then... I really didn't want to be a bad person anymore and I couldn't hide the fact that I was and so I really, truly hated myself and I had no answer. I tried rehabs, detoxes, drug and alcohol counsellors, psychiatrists and psychologists and none of them helped me. So I was just... I was. What, what, what did they tell you to do? Did They were more about harm reduction and okay, reducing yeah. the usage. The psychiatrist, I'm sure there's good ones out there. Sadly, I got one that just gave me a lot of benzodiazepines and I was honest with him about my usage so... He still gave them to me, and I just combined the two. And the psychologists, the counsellors, and rehabs and detoxes, they're about harm minimisation, and that's not me. I need to be abstinent. Yep. Okay. And how did you find AA? I was participating in an online forum because I was homeless towards the end, and the only method of communication I had with the world was the internet. And it got to the point, it was a forum for people who actually wanted to drink and wanted to die that way. But I started, every now and again, I would post about how I wanted to stop. And then someone from the program actually reached out to me and they related to me. They talked about their experience in life over a couple of months. They actually came and met me multiple times and just let me know that someone gives a crap about them, about me, sorry. And then after a while of knowing that person, I asked, how'd you get well? And they told me about AA. Okay, that's good. Yeah, it doesn't matter how you find it; that it, it's when you find it. Mm. Um, back back to you then, Sarah. Um, one of the other things you mentioned um, when we were having a chat earlier was travelling overseas. So, did that increase your drinking? Hmm. Was that a release? Yeah. Again, they talk about geographicals in AA, you know, and thinking that you can escape yourself by going, you know, to another location. But I found that that certainly didn't work for me. So Mm. I went over to the UK and Europe and I was over there for about three years and I just found myself in hospitality again and drinking even more. I'd I'd go to really small towns, like 50 people, you know, for the unique experience. (laughs) But what I think I loved was that in these small towns, there was no other hobbies no one, there was nothing else to do. So, yeah, yeah, it was just work Mm. and go to the bar. I work, go to the bar. And mm. the cycle got really intense there. You know, I was drinking 
ridiculous amounts of beer, like 10 to 15 pints of beer a night. Um, you know, for that's a woman, massive, that's yeah. it's a lot. Um, I had really, over the years, I'd always been able to drink a lot. It's like there was no off switch for me. I didn't throw up after drinking. It's like I'm an empty vessel. I, I can fit as much alcohol as you want to give me. Yep. It, it's fine. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I would, it would never, so for those whole three years, I, I took off four months within those three years. And honestly, they were the best four months of my overseas trip. Without a doubt. Um, but then in the period that I was drinking, I was in jobs that I feel like I wasn't really showing up for properly. You know, I wasn't a great – I wasn't certainly not a model employee. But also the the routine was pretty much go to work as soon as I knocked off, like waiting those couple of hours leading mm. up to finishing yeah. work. It's like, oh, yes, I'm just going to go to the bar or I'm not going to go to the bar. Either one of those. Yep. But it was pretty much 99.999% of the time I got yeah. to the bar. Yep. And then what would happen is I'd drink myself stupid and wake up the next day feeling absolutely horrific and I'd just repeat that cycle over and over again. And I also never saved any money. While I was over there, I wanted to go and see other parts of Europe. Yep. But come like holiday time, I just drank all of my money. It was, yeah. Tragic. Tragic. Yeah. <laughs> Tragic. Exactly. <sighs> So were you happier drinking or not drinking? When? Overall? Yeah. Oh, 100% not drinking. Yeah, Yeah. in the moment, at periods of my life, I really thought that, I honestly thought, how could I possibly be happy without alcohol in my life? Like, that's why it took me over 20 years. Like, I knew I had a problem for 20-odd years from the moment I picked it up. And it took me so long, so many years of realizing, like, seeing that, Trying to moderate. I tried to moderate my drinking for 20 years mm. and there was so much evidence piling up and piling up. It was in my face. It was it was as clear as day that yeah. I could not moderate. I never had. It was the rare occasion that I did. But it took me 20 years to see that that it was a problem. I think I've lost my train of thought. What were you? What was the yeah, question that's, again? That's okay. No, <laughs> another one is um, did you, you had been to AA. So did you – Flip back in and out of AA over those years? Yeah, so I think yeah, it was around the 21-ish age when I first went in and then I periodically came in probably another – I would go consistently when I would turn up. I would mm. go for about six months or so and so I probably went maybe four or five times over the 20 years and I would stay in the program for about six months. And then what would happen is um, they say this is the worst thing an alcoholic or an addict can say is I'd say to myself, I've got this, yeah. I'm good now. <laughs> I can I go either I can go and do it on my own yeah. or actually I think I can drink. So that would always happen to me. Mm. But what I've noticed is the only times that I've stayed sober and happily sober are times that I've been in AA. When I've been consistently going to the rooms and building up a community, yeah. that is when I stay sober. Not when I leave and think that – because basically what they say is you can't do it on your own. Yeah. You can try. I can guarantee it's probably going to be pretty miserable. Yeah. Uh, but – why not make it easier by going to, you know, go and spend time with people who know and understand what you're going through? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and people who are supportive of you, whatever you do, um, I think that's really important to have people who are, who are not judging your, whether you're drinking or not. It's just if you want to, if you want to stop, well, we're here. Yeah. 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 And you genuinely have so much empathy for the other people in the room and you also genuinely like 
if I see someone struggling and thinking that they want to go back to drinking, there's such a big part of me that's like, yeah. no, don't do it. I'm here. Let's do this together. And, yeah. you know, that's that's the kind of – that's what's in the rooms, you know, yeah. is that kind of power. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Listen, we'll take another break. Uh, you're listening to Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. I'm talking with Sarah and Dale, and we're talking about recovery from alcoholism through Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so I think we sort of got up to the point where both of you were giving AA a bit of a bash. So with you, Sarah, why did you decide now was the time to get back into AA? I, it's funny, it, nothing, you know, they say, oh, what was your rock bottom moment? What yeah. happened, you know? And this time around, it was honestly, what I noticed over the Christmas period, I went away over Christmas and... I drank every day um, in the evening. I attended, I wasn't a morning drinker at any stage, but I would drink without fail every night when I was um, away. And then I came back to Melbourne and I was going to spend time with my family just after Christmas. And I remember thinking, I'll drink less when I'm there. And then I was with them for 10 days and there wasn't a day that went by that I didn't drink. And I remember this real, I didn't have a car when I was there. I was relying on someone else with a car Mm. and I found that very uncomfortable because I knew that I didn't have control over being able to go and buy alcohol when I wanted it. And we'd go to the bottle shop and my mum would buy three bottles of wine and I'd buy three bottles of wine. Those three bottles of wine my mother consumed in about two weeks. I consumed them in three days. And then I was edgy. I'm like, oh, no, I want more Mm. alcohol, but how am I going to do this without alerting everybody to the fact that I've already drank the three bottles? Um, so yeah, that, so because of that, I then said, when I get back to Melbourne, cause I was up in Darwin at the time, when I get back to Melbourne, I'm not drinking. I'm going to take a break. That was my thought. Yep. I got to back to Melbourne and I realized 10 days later, I've drank every day since I've got back to Melbourne. <laughs> oh my gosh. And it was actually just around then that I thought, you know, I was coming home, I was sitting on the couch, I was watching Netflix and I was drinking a bottle of wine. I was like, oh, this is exciting, isn't it? Is this the life you really want for yourself, Sarah? Is mm. it? Is this? Is this? Is this the next twenty years? Is this amazing? Yeah. Is this? Are you fulfilled? And so it's funny. It wasn't. I've had so many rock bottoms, like ones that have just. Oh, I've broken my own heart with what I've done. I've just been so hurt by alcohol or my relationship with alcohol. But this time around, mm. it it wasn't. It wasn't about that so much. It wasn't the big stuff. It was, but it was in the grand scheme because yeah. what it was <clears throat> is I'm playing with my life here and what I could really be, you know? So what I realized before I just gave up this time was, do you know what? I have so many dreams and I have so much potential and I'm so sick of just drinking that away. And that is exactly what alcohol, it just became super clear that alcohol was doing me no favors and that if I was to look ahead in ten from 10 years ne- from now and I was doing the same thing, no, I would not be a happy person. So that's what brought me into AA this time. Yeah. yeah. And how is it now that you're in back in AA and feel comfortable being in AA? What's the what's the difference? Um, as I shared with you before, before mm. air, on air, um, when I came back to AA, I was looking. For, I was kind of excited about it because I remembered that I felt very comfortable in the rooms. So that was a big thing. Um, yeah, this time around, it's a common thing that they say in AA. It's about looking. What I'm doing is I'm looking for the similarities in other people's stories and not the differences. Yep. And what I notice and or what I recall <clears throat> is all the other times that I was in AA, 
um, I was looking for those differences. So someone might say, uh, they use this as a silly example, but oh, I had a green car and I was like, well, I had a blue car, so I'm not an alcoholic, you know? Uh, So that was definitely, that's one of the big differences. And something that I also have noticed is I used to come into AA and I used to think, oh my God, can I never drink again? What if I can't drink again? That was what I thought. Now I think, oh my God, what if I drink again? So yeah. I actually have this little bit of fear. Yeah. It's not driving me because I'm not, it's not, fear doesn't keep you sober. Yeah. But <clears throat> what it is doing is I've realized now that I know that my life's better this way. And, but I also know that it's a disease that can really play tricks on you. Yeah. So now <clears throat> I have this just healthy fear that, um, I want this to work and I'll do what it takes to make it I don't it want work. to be de- derailed. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, uh, to come back to it, AA, I'm <clears throat> back in AA and I'm really grateful that it exists. Um, without it, I know there's other things out there, but for me, AA is a beautiful place to be and a really supportive place. And I'm, yeah, I'm so happy to be back in the rooms. Yeah. So, so uh, is it, it, it's a safe place, but do you feel optimistic when you're in AA, yeah, in the AA rooms, do you feel like there isn't, there's nothing that can derail you? You know, once you're in the meeting, is that the sort of sense it gives you? For me, for the most part, yeah. Like yeah. I do feel that way. I remember not always feeling that way when I was looking for those differences, uh, but nowadays, for the most part, I'd say 95% of the meetings or more, um, I come away feeling empowered. I come away thinking, do you know what? I've got the tools here. Um, to live a happy, sober life. And also I feel inspired by hearing other people's stories. Yeah, so, yeah, no, it's it's definitely a place that um, I feel, yeah, it just feels like the place that I need to be for my recovery. Yeah, okay. for yep. sure. Right. Um, so how about you, Dale? What's being an AA like for you? Uh, fantastic. It's given me a new lease on life and hope because I talked a little bit earlier about all the things I tried to stop drinking and I never could. I thought there was no hope for me and life was, it felt better while I was drinking because every time I've only stopped properly for one month out of a rehab and I was so angry, I was so irritable, so bored, it just, it was worse. And then, so I just thought there was no answer for me and then I went into the rooms and I felt welcomed. I'd grown up my whole life with not the greatest people, so everyone always wanted something from me and then going to those rooms, I could tell straight away these people didn't want anything from me except to see me get sober, but they didn't really care either way. They were just there to try and help me. I was welcome, so it just felt like there was finally a place where I could relate to people and I was welcomed. Yep. So um, did you sort of throw yourself into AA then, you know, and try and be part of it most definitely because yeah. straight away mm. off the bat i'd heard a lot of stories about people that had been in and out and i didn't want that to be me and the differing factor seemed to be some people just there's two theories that people talk about like just don't pick up the first drink and go to meetings which for me and a lot of us just doesn't work and the other one is get a sponsor do the steps and get involved in service that unity and service so I just listened to the people with that seemed happy and that had strong links of sobriety. So I threw myself straight into that program because I had nowhere else to go. I was at the end of my rope. I was too scared to die, but I didn't want to live. Like 
at the end, I was going up to seven days at a time without eating because I just didn't care anymore. Mm. But I didn't have any other answer. And then suddenly this answer was presented to me and I was going to take it. Okay. So was it difficult breaking away from all your friends or your that they weren't necessarily friends, but the people you were mixing with, was that hard to sort of make the step into AA? By this point in my life, I pretty much had no one. I had two or three people that still spoke to me, including <clears throat> my sister, which she didn't wasn't really my friend, but still spoke to me. Um, I'd isolated myself from everyone or burnt bridges by doing extremely vile things to them, like manipulation, stealing. I just destroyed every single relationship yeah. relationship that I had just to get more alcohol. So I really had no one and nothing. I was just living in my tent with no hope. Mm. It, it was all gone by that point. Yeah. AA's actually given me a chance to <clears throat> gain a lot of that back. Okay. So what's life like now? Life <laughs> is absolutely fantastic now, as I was saying earlier off air, that I actually have a life now to start, but to elaborate... I'm a reliable person, which it always annoyed me. I was never reliable. If you asked me to do something, you would know. It's like, Dale's not going to do that. (laughs) There's no chance he'll show up. Now people know I'll show up. I'm an honest person, which I never was. For a lot of my life, I tried to put on this scary facade because really I was scared and I didn't want to let anyone hurt me or get close to me. And now people do not think of me that way. So it feels fantastic to be able to walk down the street and, I don't know, I guess it's a look in the eyes that people used to just part away and cross the street and now people just treat me like a normal person. I'm actually getting my life back on track. I can put my head on the pillow at night and go to sleep. It used to be I needed a lot of alcohol and some noise in the background or I could not sleep. I can look at myself in the mirror without thinking I'm a disgusting person. I'm actually content, not all the time, we all have our issues, yeah. but most of the time I'm actually content with the person I am, which is something I'd never <clears> experienced <throat> before. Yeah, that's a good feeling, isn't it? It really being is. A, being able to relax in, in yourself, yeah. yeah. Um, so how about you, Sarah? What's, what's life like now that, you've, uh, that alcohol isn't a problem? I can honestly say that I've never been happier. Um, uh, just like Dale, you know, there's content. I have contentment in my days now, and I, I really, when I remember when I was drinking, I just had this deep sadness inside all the time, and I didn't know what it was about. And you know, through the program and becoming more aware of, you know, what's going on inside of me emotionally and addressing that, I just have so much more peace now, and I'm learning to love myself. And that is something beautiful. I didn't realize how much I didn't love myself before. Mm. And now I just want to do things that are good for me, good for my body, my spirit, you know, um, all of that. But one of the things that I love the most actually is before when I was a drinker, I I had aspirations, you know, I wanted to do things. Mm. I'd do courses and I'd educate myself. But I, I just always was very average at what I was doing. I wanted to be good, but I couldn't get any sort of um, traction on that aspect. And nowadays, um, I have this thing. I read this book called The Miracle Morning. And now for the last couple of months, you know, every morning I wake up and without fail, like I don't have a day off from this, without fail, (laughs) I meditate, I do yoga, I do I pray to my higher power, which is something that's a new concept for me, but is really working. Mm. 
and I do some nonfiction reading. You know, I I do a lot of reading around self development and personal like personal growth, mm. and after that takes me around an hour in the morning and after that i'm i'm in a the most zen place i've <laughs> ever been you know and they say that they say you know the feelings we wanted to get from alcohol we can get so much better without it if we can just kind of find our little spiritual path and and kind of learn to love ourselves and that is exactly what's happening for me in this mm. in sobriety i i i sometimes have so much gratitude for this that it's I have daily gratitude for, yeah. and I just um, really feel for anyone out there that isn't in, that is struggling still, because I would love for them to know that it is so much better. Like I'm, I'm so happy. So living proof. Yeah. Yeah, living proof. And like, <laughs> like Dale, there's you, you know, you've got your daily struggles, mm. but do you know what? Like they're not as hard to face, you know, no. because you've got the tools to face them, and um, and you have. I feel proud of myself on a daily basis and I have I'm able to have a lot of courage in my day-to-day life for example being on the radio who yep. would have thought months ago that I yep. would even do this <clears throat> yep. I would have been too self-conscious but this is what sobriety gives you. You, you your confidence grows and then you know that essentially to coin a very corny phrase the world is your oyster yep. <laughs> you know but it's true yep. I can dream big now and yep. yeah that's good. That's great. Um, if anybody would like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can either phone them on one three hundred triple two triple two, or you can go online at aa.org.au. Uh, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Sarah and Dale for coming into 3CR Studio and sharing their Alcoholics Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovering from drug addiction and we'll be joined by Kylie and David from Narcotics Anonymous. Thanks again for listening to Living Free Show. 